The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Hey, hey, welcome Disability Law Show. We are back. So good to have you tuning in on the uh, the show today. You want to reach out? First of all, John Scholes here along with co-founding partners, Sam Firu Tamarkin, LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country, Savannah Tamarkin, and uh, Tamarkin and handling things over the West Coast would be our good pal, Martin Willems. And I uh, want to remind you guys, across the country, Savannah Martin and the rest of the team can help you outside of Quebec. You are in good hands from coast to coast to coast, basically, so uh, don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, just have that chat, number one eight five five eight two one. 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca and the website as well, disabilityrights.ca. You can also catch us on TV. The small screen for now, working on the big screen, but small screen for now uh, can be found at disabilityrights.ca, the uh, the website. We got a lot of emails to get through today, guys. They're piling up or cleaning out the inboxes, they say. But first, a couple uh, a couple things you guys have been working on. Sven, what's, uh, what's crossed your desk recently, pal? Well, John, I wanted to start off by saying that, uh, you know, we've been doing this show uh, as well as our TV shows and mm-hmm. other radio shows across really various provinces, Ontario, BC, uh, Alberta, uh, hopefully at some point uh, expand beyond uh, with our reach. I mean, we also handle claims across the country with the exception of Quebec, but other provinces. And uh, sometimes, you know, when we speak on air here, uh, you know, we're speaking to large audiences and it has happened in the past, especially because we also do TV uh, and talk about the disability uh, matters that we do. I will get stopped by someone saying, hey, you're the disability lawyer. And, you know, aside from when we speak to individuals who contact us individually for their own issues, it's quite interesting to speak with people outside day to day about the impact that we are having. And let me just share something with you uh, just right now. Uh, just this past week, I, I was working out at the you know local uh, gym here where I live, and a lady just came. Uh, just a lady that I've been seeing uh, you know at the gym uh, for the last few months working out. She just came by. I never interact with her. I generally don't interact with people at the gym. I just do my own thing. And she came over. She stopped me. And she says, "I don't know you, but are you that disability lawyer?" And I said, okay. "Yes, I am." And she says, "Well, I've been watching the show, uh, your guys' show about disability uh, matters, uh, disability law, and uh, you know." I haven't had to use you, but I have been struggling myself. I've had my own issues with my insurance company, and I can I, I want to tell you that what you guys do on TV and, and on radio as well is just gold. That those are the words you use. It's gold. It's been so helpful to me, and uh, I hope I don't have to use you. But it's been so informational. It's been so um, you know it's positive in terms of the fact that we are allowing people to feel empowered, and we're giving people answers, and we're going over various scenarios and. Anyways, she just basically spoke, uh, you know, for a few minutes about the impact that these shows have had on her. And I just stood there listening. And then she said, well, thank you very much. Just wanted to let you know. And she went back to doing her own thing. And then I went back to doing my own thing. But the reason I'm mentioning it is because I think, you know, we take pride, myself, Martin, other people on our team, that we are doing something that many lawyers traditionally have never done, which is just to give free information. This is information that traditionally lawyers have charged money for. We take the opposite view. We will not charge you a cent unless you need us to actually help you. And even then, we will only get paid if ultimately we're able to represent you successfully, i.e. make the insurance company pay you after they've denied your claim. 
So speaking with us doesn't cost you anything. Asking us questions doesn't cost you anything. Having us review documentation doesn't cost you anything. We are here to help you, to educate you, and to fix that power imbalance between people out there, people who are injured, people who are ill, people who are, you know, in a very bad spot in their life where they can't do, you know, the job that they previously done, they can't pay the bills, they can't get money coming in to help them deal with an insurance company that is oppressive to them, an insurance company that denies them unjustly and unlawfully, you know, to, to fix that power imbalance. Because that's what we do each and every day. We fight these insurance companies. And by the way, many of us have also worked on the other side. We used to work for insurance companies, quite a few of us. So we understand how the other side is thinking. So that's it. I just wanted to, to put that out there, John, because it was just very gratifying. You know, I had a smile on my face, not because she ended up using us, but because she told me how much of an impact we as a collective, as a, as a, as a group, as a team of lawyers have had on her. And I'm sure for many other people who have not had, you know, to, to call us, but who have been able to use the information that we give out and we're going to give out on this show to their benefit, uh, you know, vis-a-vis their own insurance companies. Guys, the number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. That doesn't underscore the point that you should call, if only to have a, uh, you know, a relaxed conversation. Educate yourself with Savan or Martin. Remember their respective teams are always open for that conversation. No problem, Martin. What do you think? What's going on to your side today, pal? You know, uh, thanks for that. I'll, I'll just add this to what Savan just said. I spoke to somebody earlier this week, and. It, there's so so much mental health illnesses out there and people struggling. And this was a, a gentleman who had a significant depression situation. And he has been struggling, hasn't been able to get the insurance company to do what they're supposed to do. And I had a discussion with him. We spoke about his options. And at the end of the discussion, because he's going to think about what he wants to do, he did say, you know... Just having the discussion, just getting the information, just having somebody listen and explain to him what the denial letter means, what his rights in terms of the policy are, just that gave him, in his words, a light in a very, very dark tunnel. And at my end, when people say things like that, you know, yes, this is what we do. Yes, it is a business. This is my job. But it's also gratifying because you are helping people. By giving information over this radio show or giving information in the TV shows or just speaking to people one-on-one by phone every day because there's lots of people out there who are struggling. Just speaking with them and as Sivan has said, empowering people because information is power, right? If, if you don't deal with this on a regular basis and you don't because you're working, you're hoping that this never happens to you. But when it happens, the rug gets pulled out from under you. And you're struggling with a mental health or a physical illness. You're not getting money. An insurance company has denied you. It is a very scary and dark place. And speaking to somebody who can help you understand what it all means goes a long way. So I just wanted to echo what Savannah said. The other thing that I wanted to speak about um, this morning before we get to the emails is there was a situation this week that, uh, that arose. And it ties into our discussion last week. And I'm going to speak about two things here. Appeals and limitation periods. The reason why this is of relevance today is I was contacted by someone who went off work in 2020. And this person received short-term disability benefits, applied for long-term disability benefits with the insurance company. His claim was denied. He then went down the appeal route. He appealed three times. All three times, 
his claim was unsuccessful or the appeal was unsuccessful, yeah. unfortunately. And this week realized that the limitation period, the time frame within which you can pursue a legal claim against the insurance company, expired the day before that he realized it. So he then got in contact with us. We had a discussion. Uh, now, luckily for him, uh, because of COVID in this province, in BC specifically, there was an extension for limitation periods. That's, again, that's the time frame within which you can sue. So it's an anomaly. It doesn't happen normally, but for now, at least it's there. But there are also other arguments that I would have come up with with respect to this limitation concern. Because you know when you file a legal claim, the insurance company will say to you, well, you're out of time because you had two years to do so and you filed three days too late. But there may be arguments that can be raised. And in this instance, I think that, they were, that, that there was another argument. Um, but it's not always there and it's not always apparent um, if you don't work in the area of disability law, if you don't deal with this on a regular basis. So if you do have people out there as lawyers, I'm not saying everybody won't know what they're doing, but if you don't work with this, you may not be aware of certain cases or certain approaches that you can take in order to overcome the limitation period argument. So the message that I wanted to give is two things. We speak about appeals and that we don't support people and following through with an appeal. And this is a prime example. Why? Because this gentleman was denied three times. And one of the reasons for the denial was there's no diagnosis. They're still trying to figure out what's going on. Well, a disability claim really is about impairment of function. Why is it that you cannot work? We know there's a medical illness. We're not sure what it is, but we know from a doctor's perspective that there is something and the person cannot work. So to jump on it from the insurance perspective to say, well, there's no diagnosis. Unfortunately for them, that's not a reason to deny the claim, yet they do that. And people on the other side then get engaged in this process where they're hoping and trusting that the insurance company is going to come around. They're going to realize that, look, this person is unable to work. When they don't, two years go by, and now this man is faced with a limitation period concern. So, again, do not just engage in that appeal process. If there's a denial, get in touch with us immediately. We can walk you through all your options, and if you still want to go down that road, that is your choice. But you need to know that very likely these will not be successful. And we can speak to you about what a legal claim looks like. And on the other end, if there is a limitation period problem and you think, well, you're out of time, don't give up. Speak to us because we can tell you. If there is no hope, we will say that to you. But often there is something to be done. So that's my message today. The appeals don't often help. And the limitation period, if there is one, at least speak to somebody who can give you proper advice, whether you're out of luck or whether there is something to be done. Still plenty of time to uh, to break into some conversation here via email. Guys, you want to send one along to Savan or Martin at all, going to end up in the same place. It might even end up on air sometime, like we're going to switch over those here momentarily. How exactly do you do that? You're wondering, help at disabilityrights.ca, the email address. And to reach out to the guys and their team anytime, like uh, Martin and Savan both said, 
don't hesitate. It could be quite a, a cathartic uh, conversation for that matter, too. It's like going to your doctor, right, and saying, you know, I got this itch, and he assures you it's really nothing. We'll carry on with it. You feel better just walking out of the office. Very similar feeling, so always uh, always make sure you make that call. Toll-free, of course, one 821 5900 And we will continue with lots more of the Disability Law Show on the way. Stand by. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. All right, thanks for hanging through the break. We appreciate that. Disability Law Show here every week and joined by Savannah Tamarkin and Martin Willems. They can easily handle your matter, at least have a conversation. There's uh, there's no obligation just to pick up a phone, talk, and get some information. Education is the key when it comes to this particular topic like we talk about every week. And how do you do it? one 821 Email address, which we're about to break into momentarily, is help at disabilityrights.ca. And for quick, easy-to-read, concise, non legalese notations and memos on disability there's a ton of topics drop down menu it's all in boxes really easy to navigate called ltdfaq.ca that's free and anonymous for you to use anytime again ltdfaq.ca guys first email today is going to be our pal anthony writes in says guys many medical professionals do not want to become involved in the legal process aside from anxiety and depression do you have medical professionals psychiatrists who can help provide the medical evidence to support a claim things like trauma ptsd and disassociation what do you guys think anthony this is an excellent question i will tell you that in my experience uh, i don't find a lot of medical professionals who are not interested in helping their patients if anything i can speak uh, um, quite a lot about uh, doctors who have reached out to me uh, who have patients that are having difficulties with their insurance companies and and i Actually, just off the top of my head, they're thinking about two psychologists who have reached out to me just in the past few months. Uh, again, not disclosing any information, any specific confidential information, but just generally speaking, because they've seen their own patients struggle with their long-term disability insurers. But in a situation where you don't have, you know, someone that can help you, Anthony, I think there's a difference between a doctor that says, I am not going to provide a report or I'm not going to fill out an application for long-term disability versus a doctor who simply disagrees that you are disabled from working. I think that if you have no doctors or no one that's treating you that says that, in my opinion, medical opinion or other opinion, uh, you are disabled from uh, functionally being able to do your job, to perform the essential tasks of your own occupation. If you don't have anyone that says that, if you have a doctor that says, no, I think you can work, that becomes a problem because those notes and records from that doctor, that psychologist or whoever is treating you is going to uh, come out into the open. The insurance company is going to get access to those. They're going to use that against you to say, aha, you see, we told you we don't believe that you are disabled from working and therefore you're not entitled to benefits. But that's very different than a doctor or a psychologist or someone else like that who says, look, I think you cannot work, but for this reason or another reason, I don't want to be involved. I don't want to have to provide evidence or provide any any opinions to the insurance company specifically for your legal matter or for your issue dealing with the insurance company. We can deal with those cases. We can deal with those. Why? Because we have a roster of doctors we can go to, experts, experts in their fields. We have orthopedic surgeons, we have psychiatrists, psychologists, chronic pain doctors, physiatrists, neurologists, anyone you can think of, we have. So Anthony, when you mention here things like trauma, PTSD, dissociation, we are now within the realm of psychologists and psychiatrists. Yes, we have them, and we have them in every province that we practice. 
and so we can help with that. But again, that's very different, you know, to call upon these experts for us to utilize them, for us to retain them, to have them provide what's called the medical legal report for the purposes of the claims process to push back against the insurance company. That's very different than substituting their opinion for, or, or sorry, the opinion of one of your doctors who disagrees that you cannot work with one of theirs, because then it looks like we've just hired an expert to get around the opinion of your doctor who says that you can in fact work. So the messaging here is this, or the message, the, the simple message is that so long as you have doctors that are helping you or someone that is helping you and they agree that you in fact cannot work at this point in time and then you need help, but they don't want to get involved in the legal process, we can get around the issue, we can retain experts, we can go to experts that can help us advocate for you and make sure that we can you know, go to the insurance company with all of the proper documentation, medical documentations and opinions to get them to pay you what you're owed. So that's from my point of view. Martin, I'm sure that you have something to say about this as well. You use experts, I believe, uh, quite frequently. You know, I agree with everything that Savannah said. In, in the context of a treating doctor, like a family physician or a psychiatrist because we're speaking about a mental health illness, not wanting to get involved in the insurance claim. I agree, you don't often see that. It does happen, but very, very rarely. But if that were to be the position from of the doctor, you know, it's, it's quite frustrating because the, they would hopefully be supportive of their patient not being able to work and that, and that the claim has been filed in the first instance. Uh, I would suggest that they, in that case, maybe request a referral, if it is the GP, to a psychiatrist or a psychologist. But if they still don't want to get involved, for whatever reason, because they've been burnt at a trial, for example, um, there are ways to deal with it, as Savannah said. And we can send clients for independent medical examinations as well. And yes, I do send clients for that quite often, because we try and get people the best medical evidence that we can to support the claims depending on the condition. For example, if it is a mental health claim, like the insurance companies, if they want to send you for an independent medical examination, we can do the same thing. We can go toe-to-toe -to -toe on this. Mm -hmm. And we use doctors who are familiar with these conditions and who take their time to do a proper assessment, a proper file review, so that they can provide an informed opinion. All of this ultimately is done to support the client's claim. So when we get involved, yes, we can assist with that, definitely. Anthony, good call uh, sending that email along. We hope that uh, lengthy answer helped from both Savan and uh, Martin as well. You want to reach out by phone, pal, do it, 1-855-821-5900. Uh, next one up, guys, is Cheryl. This is a really interesting email, some things here I'm not even aware of as far as uh, her, her issues are concerned, but I'm sure you guys have, have been down this road before. She says, I've been diagnosed with conversion order, uh, conversion order uh, from a neurologist, psychiatrist, and family doctor. I'm on long-term disability. The insurance company has requested I discussed with a third-party psychiatrist recommended by the insurance company, which I complied and agreed. Two months later, they're now sending me to another psychiatrist they recommend, who most likely is biased with the insurance company. They're looking for another confirmed diagnosis and treatment. I feel like they're looking for ways to deny my continued coverage and force me back to work. What rights do I have when meeting with a psychiatrist? And if I'm forced back to work, conversion disorder is a mental illness that produces mental and physical symptoms. It's very stressful to have to continually prove to the insurance company on my condition. Your advice would mean a lot. 
Thank you, Cheryl. So, yes, that is an interesting question. There's a lot to unpack here, as we've said on many other questions. Uh, first thing that I will say is I have helped people and represented people, and I think everybody in my, our team has, who have had a diagnosis of a conversion disorder. It's not a very common diagnosis, in my experience, um, with mental health cases, and it is a difficult one to make. If you look at Cheryl's email, she has the diagnosis from a family physician, a psychiatrist, and a neurologist. So that that says a lot, right? It's not an easy diagnosis to make. In some people's minds who may be more cynical, it's a very controversial diagnosis to make. But Cheryl has the diagnosis from three different treating medical doctors, and she is being paid long-term disability benefits. So that tells me that the insurance company accepted the diagnosis or rather accepted the disability claim because as I've said before, a diagnosis is part of the puzzle but the real issue is, is the person unable to work because of their restrictions and limitations? It's really about function, more so functional impairment. The fact that Shaw is being paid means that the insurance company accepted that. She is disabled from working. Now, the interesting thing that I see here is she says, the insurance company has requested I discuss with a third-party psychiatrist recommended by the insurance company, which I complied and agreed. It sounds like Cheryl had what is called an independent medical examination with a psychiatrist. She applied with the request to do so, attended it. The person gave an opinion. And now she says, two months later, they are now sending me to another psychiatrist they recommend, who most likely is biased with the insurance company. Well, the first one sounds like was already being paid by the insurance company. Sending Cheryl to another psychiatrist two months after they've already had the opinion of the first one, I have big issues with that. It almost sounds like doctor shopping. You know, an insurance company, under the terms of the policy, has the right to send an insured for an assessment, which we, they call independent medical examinations. And we've discussed what we think about the word independent before. But they have that right to do so. Once they get the report back, they may approve the claim on an ongoing basis or they may deny it, which we've seen many times. They have denied. In this case, it doesn't sound like they've denied it. They don't like what they said in that report. Now they want to get another opinion from another psychiatrist whom they are being, who are they are paying for. I don't agree with that. I think Cheryl should be in touch with us in terms so that we can actually look if what I'm understanding is correct. I wouldn't advise that she actually attends that appointment. But again, we would need to have further information on this because you cannot let the insurance company go doctor shopping. If they don't like what the first one says, why is there another one needed? I mean, that person already confirmed the disability. You don't need a second one. That would not be reasonable. The insurance company has a duty of good faith to you. So if they've already done an assessment, there's not a basis for another one. Cheryl, when she says she feels that they are fine, trying to find ways to deny the claim, I agree with that if this is what what is happening. And she has the treating doctor supporting her. So there's a big concern here as to what this insurance company is doing. I think we should have a detailed discussion with Cheryl to look at the documents to see if these facts are actually correct. And then our advice probably would be that she doesn't attend this. Uh, Sivan, you may have further thoughts on this. I agree with everything you said. And John and I actually spoke about uh, Cheryl's email previously. And 
many of the words you've used and phrases, I've used those with him as well when I um, assessed, you know, the, the, the email. And, you know, as you like to say, Martin, everything uh, starts and stops with the policy. It's a contractual relationship between Cheryl as an insured person and the insurance company. And unfortunately, what we find a lot when we speak with claimants, especially claimants who are either denied uh, or, or cut off benefits or asked to do these assessments or forced pressure to go back to work. And in many other instances, insurance companies overstep their bounds. And when we say insurance companies, I mean, remember, we're talking about adjusters, individuals. These individual adjusters have quotas that they have to meet. They have managers that they have to placate, right? They all want to make their bonuses. They all want to make, you know, their, their higher ups happy. And the way to do that is to make sure that they shake off as many of those claims as possible, whether or not it's correct or not to do so, whether or not they breach their obligations under the policy or not. That is their intent. And it doesn't make them bad people per se right? They simply have to answer to their overlords, which are the shareholders of the company, etc. The first thing that came to my mind when I read this is exactly what you said, Martin, which is doctor shopping. Insurance companies cannot do that. And frankly, this is one of those cases where if a legal claim were to start and we opened up the file and we saw, obviously, the report from the first psychiatrist and we saw that it was very favorable to Cheryl as opposed to the insurance company, and despite that, they decide to go doctor shopping. To me, that raises a specter of punitive damages, aggravated damages, other kinds of damages. Uh, so insurance companies, sometimes they act in this way. It's incorrect, obviously, for them to do so. Uh, and it's a good thing that Cheryl has actually reached out to us because, you know, other people, John, would simply not say anything or do anything. They'll be compliant. They'll think that, oh, it's better for me to just be compliant with what the insurance company is saying or doing. Oh. Not understanding that what the insurance company is saying is doing is to their benefit, not yours. So at least she's done the right thing in reaching out to us. We've been able to address this and we'll speak to her outside of the show to make sure that she understands all her options. And we will do so after a short break, but we'll continue to give that number out, one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca and any other information and questions you want to throw at us, mydisabilityquestions.com. Free, anonymous, searchable database for past questions as well. It's a good website, mydisabilityquestions.com. That short break is right now and back with lots more of the Disability Law Show. Stand by. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Yeah, this is the Disability Law Show. Love having you back with us every week. You can always ask your own questions anytime. Maybe it'll appear on a show. If not, you can do it uh, privately with uh, either Savannah or Martin, or they have respective teams behind them, always ready to, uh, to pick up the phone, read the emails, and uh, have a conversation with you. one 821 5900 that's the number, that email address we speak of and use on the show every time, is help at disabilityrights.ca. Guys, Stephanie is up next, says, uh, love the show. Question, I'm on LTD for mental health issues. Now I need to have surgery. Do I have to tell my LTD insurer about this surgery? guess they know about the uh, mental health issues already. You know, this is an interesting question here. My view is, and I'd love to hear Martin's thoughts here, is that if you have an LTD claim going on, you should be keeping the insurance company apprised. Now, it depends on what is the nature of your impairment. Is it psychological? In this case with Stephanie, it is. But we don't know how the surgery is going to affect things. We don't know what the surgery is for. We have no idea what gave rise to it. Is it associated with the mental health issues that she's experiencing? We simply don't know. 
So really, my answer would be, Stephanie, is to err on the side of caution. I would disclose it, but I wouldn't necessarily put a you know a fine point on it. I would just simply, as part of the updates that you provide your long-term disability insurer, which typically every claimant must provide or should provide updated uh, uh, reports from their doctors, etc., or themselves communicate with the adjuster how things are going, I would simply advise of what is going on here. But I, I, I am always, you know, uh, my view is, is you have to be honest. You have to make sure that you don't give the insurance company any reason to say that you were not honest and you did not give them the information they required or that you had an obligation to do, uh, to give under the policy. Uh, so again, I would want to understand a bit more about the surgery and the nature of the surgery and the nature of the mental health issues. But as a general proposition, I, I don't think that this would hurt her claim. Uh, and I would not, and like I said, want to give the insurance company a, a reason for them to say you you haven't been honest with us. Martin, what I, do you think, Phil? I agree with I agree with that. I, I don't see. I'm trying to think of a scenario where this would be detrimental to the claim, and I just cannot come up with one. So Stephanie is already on claim. In other words, she's already being paid LTD benefits because of a mental health issue. I'm assuming, I think it's correct, that the surgery is not to do with that. Um, so disability claims are about functional impairment. Having surgery sounds quite serious. Could be minor, could be not. But I don't see how there would be any impact, negative impact, on advising the insurance company of the surgery. Um, is there a duty on her to do so? Well. Insurance companies conduct telephone discussions with people when they're being paid benefits. Every now and again, the case manager may phone the client or the insured and say, how are things doing? What's news? What do you do on a regular basis? What doctors are you now seeing? Uh, what medications are you taking? What do you do on an average day? You see that in case files all the time. And if Stephanie, during one of those discussions, didn't speak about the surgery, uh, it probably would be looked at as strange. But would it be a negative thing? I don't think so. But I don't, I, I don't see the point of not telling them. If the question were to be asked or if the opportunity arose to speak about it, why would you not? Because I don't think it's going to be a negative thing. Guys, got a uh, email from Kim. Uh, here we go. Hi, Savan and uh, Martin. I was referred to you by someone you have helped before, and they said that your team are the best when it comes to long-term disability problems. I live in Victoria, and I caught uh, COVID from my workplace in January. I've been able to return to work full-time due to long COVID symptoms. I applied for LTD in July and after six months waiting period. However, my claim has still not been decided. There is more to the story. Of course, I'm in need of a lawyer to understand my rights. Since I'm too sick to work, my employer has stopped paying me. I no longer have extended health benefits to cover treatments I've been getting to assist in my recovery. It does not seem that the insurance is going to approve my LTD claim. They found a loophole that my employer's HR manager helped them find. I've indicated I could return at 10 hours a week from home and spaced out to account for my periods of fatigue, but that is not something they seem interested in supporting and would rather have me gone. Is there something you or your lawyers can help me with? Thanks, Kim. Uh, from the sounds of it, there's more to the story. And uh, using Kim's own words, <laughs> there is more to the story. Um, she went off work because of long COVID symptoms, which is something we see more and more these days. People having ongoing problems, which is quite often similar to chronic fatigue and 
long ago, many years ago, it's still there, but starting to change a little bit. Chronic fatigue was deemed to be a condition that doesn't really exist. Um, more cases are coming up these days. So there's a bit of an acceptance coming around to it. And maybe the same thing will happen with COVID, long COVID symptoms. Having said that, she applied for LTD benefits in July after the six-month waiting period. We're now in November. So what is that? August, September, October, November, four months later. And no decision has been made. An insurance company has a duty to adjudicate claims on a, in a timely manner. It doesn't say that in the policy necessarily, but that is what is expected because they have a duty of good faith. These are peace of mind contracts. In other words, you have this coverage so that you have the peace of mind if something goes wrong and you cannot work because of a medical illness or an injury, that the insurance company will step in to provide you the peace of mind of financial assistance. That's not happening here because no decision has been made. And this seems to be something that comes up more and more these days as well. I have had people co contact me and say, well, the insurance company said they're not denying my claim, but they're investigating it, or they've sent it to one of their medical doctors, or they want me to attend some assessment. No. They have a certain period of time, again, it's not defined in the policy, within which they have to make a decision. They cannot leave somebody hanging in limbo, wondering whether they're going to be paid because the insurance company and their doctors are dragging their feet in providing a decision. Quite often when there's a decision, then we can tell the person either you can follow through with the appeal, which we don't recommend, or you can pursue a legal claim. Where there is no decision, then that becomes a more difficult discussion to have. So I often tell people to send an email, to communicate with the insurance company, say, this is what has happened. I went off work at this time. I applied at this time. It is now four months later. You have not made a decision. I give you one week to make a decision and get back to me because what is happening is creating further stress and anxiety. I have financial difficulties which do not help my medical condition. If you don't make a decision, I will be pursuing legal action. That's what the advice generally is. Whether they pursue that or not is something different. But the, I know we have to go on a break soon, but the discussion about offering to work 10 hours per week, I don't think that would be enough to take her out of the disability context where the insurance company has to pay her. If Kim has the support from her doctors that she cannot work and the insurance company is not making a decision or does deny the claim, we should have a discussion. I'm very interested to hear what is what she says is there's more to the story to give a full picture to provide a proper opinion at least and give proper advice. Guys, we'll take that short break and get right back into it. I know Savannah, you got something to say as well, but in the meantime, that number uh, to reach out to the guys anytime and their team, one eight five five eight two one. 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca is the email. We'll continue more of the Disability Law Show is coming up. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Yes, this is the Disability Law Show. A few minutes to go. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. You can uh, do so every week and even reach out and contribute to the show, right? You want to do that? Help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address we always use. 
on the show and the phone number, uh, you know, outside of the hour of the show to reach Martin, Sivan, or a member of their team across the country, well, Alberta and BC and Ontario, but practicing everywhere outside of Quebec, by the way, they can help you for sure. one 821 5900 And finally, short, concise, non-legalese written memos on LTD, so it's easy to digest and understand LTDFAQ. .ca, but I don't want to reread the entire email, uh, Savannah, because it was a lengthy one. But uh, you want to give some points on Kim's email uh, we just had prior. I want to give some uh, some quick Coles notes in that one, pal. What do you think? Yeah, I, I do want to address a few things there. And we're dealing with somebody with long COVID, and she's having issues with her insurance company who's not giving her an answer on her application for long-term disability. At the same time, her employer stopped paying her. Uh, she doesn't have extended health benefits, etc., uh, and she's saying uh, at, at the end of the email, she says, I indicated I could return at, at 10 hours a week from home and spaced out to account for my periods of fatigue, but that's not something they're interested in, in supporting. So there's a lot of things here to cover, and Martin did a great job, I think, uh, trying to you know get through it. And, and obviously, we would need to have a fulsome conversation with Kim about her situation. And this highlights, John, how complex and factual every case is no two cases are the same we often see the same kinds of issues legal issues but the facts the nuances are very very different and that's the other thing that's really important that when you have a lawyer or a team of lawyers helping you with long-term disability you cannot go to someone who should not go to someone who's going to apply a one-size-fits-all approach every case is nuanced and the nuances here are as follows from my perspective. Number one, we are seeing time and time again insurance companies just putting uh, the brakes on long COVID claims. And we know for a fact now, several years after COVID first came to our shores in Canada, that we have a lot of people, a lot of the population who are still experiencing the effects of COVID, whether it's psychological or physical or a combination of both. And that prevents them or uh, somehow impairs them from performing the tasks of their employment. And the fact that insurance companies are still doing this is shameful, in my opinion. And I agree with Martin that Kim needs to give them a deadline uh, because they can't simply take forever to make a decision as to whether or not she uh, should be getting long-term disability. So you, she, she should give them a, a week, two weeks, whatever it is that she feels comfortable with. I agree with Martin, I would give them a week. Uh, and frankly, say to them that if they do not provide a position, she will take it as a negative, as a denial, in which case we can jump in and then go after the insurance company for the benefits she's owed. But I want to also to raise, other than the long COVID issue, which again, anybody that's experiencing this and is experiencing an insurance company that's simply not sympathetic or doesn't understand long COVID and have not been denied this claim, come to us, we will help you. Beyond that, she's mentioning issues with her employer. She's mentioning issues with her employer, accommodating or even working with her to try and see if there's anything that she can do. First of all, she's suggesting that she can perhaps work 10 hours a week. To me, that comes from desperation. I'm not even sure if her doctors agree that she can in fact work those 10 hours a week, even from home. And I find this a lot, and Martin, I'm sure you do too, when people, you know, they're, they're either not given a decision by the LTD insurer or they're denied LTD, and they can't work, and their doctors say, you should not be working, you should be staying home recuperating and getting treatments, they need to pay the bills. They don't know what to do. And by the way, John, we have that website that we frequently uh, mention, uh, ltdfaq.ca, right? Long-term disability frequently asked questions.ca, where we have short memos, uh, where we talk about certain issues that people ask us about a lot. And one of those things is, where can I get support from the government, financial support? 
so if you go to that website, ltdfaq.ca, those are free memos for the public. And you'll see there is a memo there, I think two or three pages long, that will tell you, no matter where you are, Ontario, BC, Alberta, it will tell you what kind of government resources they are. While we fight that claim for you, while we go after the insurance company, you can at least perhaps get some financial support from the government. But just turning back here, and again, we're not an employment law show, we're a disability show, but we always tell people as well that many of our lawyers at the firm practice employment law, and so we can help you with your employment law issues. That's someone that, one of the things that it's very unique uh, about our law firm, is that we have long-term disability lawyers, myself, Martin, many others on our team, as well as employment lawyers. And so the issues that she's experiencing with her own employer here, I would have her speak with one of our employment lawyers. Right, So she can get protected not only on the long-term disability side where we can help her with the long-term disability insurance company that is dragging their feet in approving her claim, but also with her employment situation. She can get the information she needs so she understands what rights she has vis-a-vis -vis her employer and what rights she has vis-a-vis -vis her uh, insurer. And, and that's unfortunately what happens quite a lot, John, is that people find themselves stuck between a rock and a hard place. They can't work. Legitimately, they are injured or ill. On the one hand, the insurance company is not supporting them and not paying as per the policy as they are required to do. And on the other hand, the employer is telling them, we're not going to be in your corner. We're going to just, you know, wash our hands. Uh, and, uh, and by the way, in some instances, they even fire disabled employees, which is against human rights legislation. So again, we can help with both the long-term disability aspect of, of the case here, but also help Kim with her employer uh, to the extent that the employer has not acted fairly and lawfully. Kim, appreciate your time, and uh, reach out, one 821 5900 We're down to a couple minutes, guys, so I'll throw this one out quickly. It's a short email, too, so that's okay. Shannon says, I was denied an LTD claim eight years ago. I wasn't healthy enough to fight. Can I now? Um, I'd like to say a few things on this. You know, we speak about, I started speaking this morning about limitation periods. That's the time frame within which you can pursue a legal claim. Generally, it is two years from the date of the denial or the date that they would have made the next payment. The time frame as to when the limitation period starts to run um, depends on the circumstances. So I have had people contact me when the claim has expired, the limitation period had expired rather, because it was beyond the two years. It is so fact specific. Eight years is a very long time. There are certain policies where the language in the policy does allow us to still try and make a claim, there's risk to it, but it doesn't mean that we cannot try. It really depends on the facts of each case. So, Shannon, I would say contact us. Let's look at the actual circumstances, the actual facts, because maybe, I'm not saying there is, but maybe there is still something to be done. And that's the message to everybody out there. If you feel that you're out of time, still contact us because there may be an argument that we can come up with that we can still fight the, the, the limitation period as well. Shannon, thank you so much. We are out of time again for another week, and uh, hopefully you got to enough emails. If not, yours uh, might be asked or at least uh, read on a different show. If not, you can send one along privately. No problem. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Is that address? You want to go one eight five five. 821-5900 to make the phone call. And finally, mydisabilityquestions.com, another free and anonymous way for you to ask questions uh, anytime as well. And we'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show.
The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto.